Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Susan Weed. My name is Daniel Michael, founder and co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, and we will be back in just a moment. Thank you. Join us. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. for you, eh? Yes, including a, maybe a big move and all sorts of other things, and so lots of things going on. <laughs> lots, lots, lots of things going on. I and think that you will ride the waves of the these changes very well. I'm glad you said waves, because I've been working on an invention with a friend of mine, and we actually have a pretty cool connection for this someone that hooks up investors to inventors who said he thought it was somewhat marketable so long story short he's one of my old best friends when he said waves the last few days I've spent on the water in Annapolis just staring at the waves thinking about my life and thinking about how everything is changing wow of staring there and you know I'm I might have had a little drink with me there or something, <laughs> and just sitting there staring. Even in the cold storm, I still liked just yeah. being out there staring at them and with, with the wind and the. And that was under a little bit of a whatever a pavilion, so it wasn't hitting. The rain wasn't hitting too hard, but <laughs> it was more misty. But it just felt like in hearing the sound of the water and thinking about everything, just felt like a beautiful scene. It felt like we're very therapeutic as nature can be. 
Isn't it though the regular rhythmical repeat of the waves? It's like the breathing, and we stabilize our heartbeat, and our breathing begins to stabilize when we are in that presence. I agree. Yes, so important. And this is the ultimate, the final um, Green Magic, Green Blessings show for Main Street Universe. Yes. We have we have come to the end of our rope. No, we have come to <laughs> <laughs> we have we have mutually agreed yes. that this is the time to take a break. You to the changes of your life, and I to the book. The book abundantly well, abundantly well, which talks about the seven medicines, and the first medicine is do nothing. Serenity medicine. Sit and stare at the water. It, it's a pretty good form of medicine. <laughs> it's really, really important medicine. But here we've been ending up <clears throat> over the past four or five sessions with botany. One, two, three, four, five. This is the eighth session that we've done on botany, in fact, over the past couple of months. And since it's the last session we're going to do together, I thought that we should just cut to the chase. Like, why are we even interested in botany? Anyhow, what is going on here that we should be interested in this kind of odd language, not really Latin, not really Greek, botany is made up of this man, Linnaeus, what for? Anyhow, and why should we even remember that the the female part is a pistol, which has a stigma and a style and an ovary, and that ovaries can be inferior or superior, and that, that the, the, the male part has a filament and an anther, and it's called the stamen. Why do we even want to know about petals and, and sepals and, and pollen and pollinators? Well, because those things, those little things that really you have to get like a magnifying glass to see are what distinguishes one plant family from another. And when you know about plant families, it's like the keys to the castle. You can go anywhere on the planet and know how to use the plants that are growing around you, even if you don't know what their names are. For instance, there's the rose family. Now, the family name is one bigger than the genus name. Remember, we talked about genus and species, and that the species was the smallest of the singular name, and then there were genera, the genus names, and the species would fit into that, and then the genera fit into the family. So, when we're looking at the rose family, the family is Rosaceae. That makes a lot of sense to us, rose family, Rosaceae. And it follows the rule, which is that the family name has to be the same as the most typical genus with A, C, E, A, E added to the end of it. So the typical genus in the rose family is Rosa, like 
Rosa Rugosa, which is beach rose, and it makes those very, very big rose hips that are used in herbal medicine. Of course, we are all familiar with roses in the Rosa genus and the Rosaceae family, but there are lots of other genera's in this family. And they include such familiar plants as apple trees and pear trees, apricot trees and plum trees, almond trees too, oh yes, and cherry trees, and strawberries, and blackberries, and raspberries. The rose family is an absolutely enormous family, which produces delicious edible fruits, leaves that are astringent, and plants which in general have a strengthening effect on the heart. By knowing what the rose family looks like, and there are five sepals, green, and five petals in the wild, white or pink, but of course we have cultivated them into an enormous variety of beautiful colors. The stamen are numerous, and they are clustered in the center of the flower, around the female parts. Those are the characteristics of the rose family. Now, having five petals and five sepals is not very distinguishing. The fact of the matter are there are a lot of plants that have five petals and five sepals. It's one of those things that just seems to occur. It's a prime number, and it's a Fibonacci number. So then we have a few little extra things that we find in the roses, primarily the stipule. And the stipule is a little leaf-like appendage that isn't a true leaf. This spring, when you go out and look at the roses, see if you can find the stipules. There's a very big family, the rose family, which is medicinal and edible, has no poisonous species, no poisonous genera. And how easy is that to learn? Another plant family that has five sepals and five petals is the Malvaceae. The Malvaceae, the typical genus is Malva. I have some Malva growing out by the barn. Malva neglecta. The Malvas are mallows. There are some fairly important plants in this family as well. Cotton is a malva, and so is okra. The beautiful flower, hollyhock, and the very important herbal medicine, marsh mallow, are all in the Malvaceae family. The Malvaceae family, again, is a family of plants, all of which are edible. 
some of which are highly medicinal. Perhaps the most medicinal members of this family are the hibiscus. The hibiscus constituting their own genera within the Malvaceae provide us with some great beauty for landscape plantings, but also plants whose flowers and leaves can be readily eaten. Rose of Sharon is the northern hibiscus and is in the Malvaceae family. Again, in just a few minutes here, in under 10 minutes, we have learned about two families of plants. We should be able to recognize them. Now, let's see. What does a hibiscus look like? Well, we said that like the rose, it has five sepals and five petals. But unlike the rose, the stamen, the male parts, are not clustered in the center. In fact, they are stuck to the sides of the style. The pistil, the female of the Malvaceae plants, may protrude. The style may stick out. Think of your Hawaiian shirt and the hibiscus on the Hawaiian shirt and that big thing sticking out of the middle of the hibiscus. That's the female part right there with all the male parts stuck on it. Pretty specific characteristics. That's why we want to be able to talk about the male parts of the plant and the female parts of the plant and what is going on there because these are the things that make us say that plant right there, I don't know what it's called here, but I can see it's in the Malvaceae family. That is a family that is safe to eat and to use. Now, every family can have some strange members and in this family, cotton would have to qualify because the root of cotton can cause the uterus to contract so strongly that if a woman is pregnant, she will probably lose that pregnancy. It's certainly not true of the mallows or the hibiscus or of okra, but there's that interesting bit of cotton root lore known to midwives and especially African women who lived in cotton-growing areas in Africa. When we know about the plant families, we know the general things that are happening within the family, and we can work with that family, and we can also easily remember the oddities or the exceptions. So rather than feeling anxious about plants, we can say, oh, yeah, that Malvaceae family, those plants are really soothing. They're mucilaginous. They're healing to the all of the internal surfaces of the body, and they can also be used externally to help heal as well. They have some good cardiac functions, and if I want to, I can throw their flowers in my salad the Malvaceae family. How easy it becomes to recognize and use all the plants that grow around us when we know a little bit 
about the families. We've been talking about the history of botany and the history of nomenclature and even the history of plants. And when I'm teaching botany to the apprentices, I give them a field guide. The one I prefer is the Peterson's field guide because it does not have color pictures. And I have them open it to a section early on called the families of flowers. And I ask them if they can tell what ordering principle was used to guide the person writing out that list of the families. When they look and they see, you know, that the first entry is cattail and that that next entry is uh, burr reed. And so it's certainly not alphabetical. And I had them look through, and there's you know six or eight pages of families, just of the families that are in that book. And they said they they can't make really any sense at all of of what's going on. And I said, how many species in the in the cattail family? They said, oh, only three. I said, now go and look at the last one, which used to be the Compositae family, and is now the Asteraceae family. And they said, oh, my goodness, look, 700 species. I said, that's the order in which these families are listed. We believe that speciation is at its peak when a family comes onto the scene and that as the family continues on, that there are fewer and fewer distinct and different species in it. And it's on this basis that we say, oh, the orchids, the orchidaceae, are the new family in the neighborhood because there are so many different species of orchids. But following close on its heels are the Asteraceae. Now, Linnaeus' name for them, the Compositae, is a really good name because the plants in this family are composed, the flowers in this family are composed of many tiny flowers gathered together into what we think of as a flower. I want you to imagine a sunflower. We can imagine that big, tall stalk and those beautiful, glorious, big green leaves. And then there's the sunflower, and it has those sunny yellow rays and that dark brown center. Let's get closer and bend that sunflower head down. We might see that seeds are beginning to form in the center of that sunflower. Now, each flower that composes the sunflower has a single ovary with a single seed. But you say, look at how many seeds there are. Surely that means that the ovary has a great many seeds. And I say, no, that's what Linnaeus meant when he called this the Compositae family, because the Asteraceae are composed of hundreds, sometimes thousands of little flowers gathered together to look like a bigger flower. 
each one of those so-called yellow petals around the center of the sunflower is actually another flower. Each petal is a flower. So in this family, in the Asteraceae family, we have disc flowers, those are the ones the sunflower has, and we have ray flowers. And although the sunflower has ray flowers, the ray flowers are sterile. Usually in this family, if there's a disc and rays like daisy or echinacea, then the ray flowers are sterile and the disc flowers are the ones that are actually fertile. However, also within this family are plants whose flowers just have ray parts and no disc flowers at all. Think dandelion. Think thistle. And each one of these ray flowers, although clustered together, we say, hey, there's a dandelion flower. But in fact, it's hundreds of ray flowers clustered together. And each one, again, has an ovary with a single seed. And when you take that dandelion head and puff on it, off go each one of those individual seeds on its little pappus, its little feathery umbrella. Yes, there are also dandelions that have only disc flowers. Chamomile. If you've ever seen a picture of chamomile, it kind of looks like an echinacea or a daisy that lost its petals. Mm-hmm. Only the disc flowers are there. The compositae is an enormous family, but what we can say is we haven't found any plants in this family that will kill you outright. There's a few kind of interesting plants in the Eupatorium genus, um, and there's some wonderful healing plants in the Eupatorium genus, like Eupatorium perfoliatum boneset and Eupatorium purpurea jopyweed. But a Eupatorium rugosum, black snake root, contains compounds that, if consumed over a long period of time, build up in your nervous system and can kill you. Or if the plant's eaten by a cow who concentrates it in their milk, you can die from it. And Abraham Lincoln's mother did. Other than that, this family is considered to be a pretty interesting and edible family containing plants like artichokes and lettuce, as well as all of the medicinal plants. You think, wait, lettuce, but think, usually you don't see lettuce flowering. If you have a garden and you've ever let lettuce go to flower, you know that the flowers that lettuce has are like tiny little dandelion flowers. Artichoke, too. We're familiar with what? The flower bud, because in the compositive family, there are no sepals. Instead of the sepals, the compositives have bracts. And when we look at an artichoke, what we are looking at is the bracts inside where the heart of the artichoke is. That's that's the part that you would see on the dandelion after you blew all the seeds away, that beautiful heart that you eat, and that hair that you scrape off. Those are the, the little embryonic pathoses at the very end 
of the fertile female flowers of the artichoke. If we allow that plant, that artichoke, to open up, it looks like a huge thistle. And sure enough, just like a dandelion, each female flower produces a seed which flies away on its little pappas. There's the mint family. And the mint family is pretty easy to recognize. It is often one of the first families that the fledgling herbalist learns about because the mint family is filled with so many useful members of motherwort and lemon balm, not just mint and spearmint, but also motherwort and skullcap. Oh, yes, and holy basil. Tulsi is part of the mint family as well. All those wonderful cooking herbs, basil, thyme, rosemary, sage, you got it. They're all in the mint family. Mint flowers are more complicated than the flowers we've been talking about. And here we have another name change. Linnaeus called this the labiatae, the lipped flowers. And indeed, if you look at a mint flower, it looks very much like there are lips, rather like a snapdragon. But if you peer very closely with your magnifying glass, you will see that one of the lips is actually three petals fused together. And another one of the lips is two petals fused together. We're back at those five petals, which we said is so common in the plant world. And those lips do not have a spur, as in violets. In fact, they go down into a joined tube that fits into the joined sepals, which is now called the calyx. The ovary is inferior. It lies deep within the calyx. There are two carpels, two sections to the ovary, each of which has two seeds. This is very obvious if you look at motherwort. It's it's going to seed, and you can see the red spiny calyx with its points jabbing out at you, and you peer down in there, it looks like a little medicine wheel, and those are the four seeds, too, from each of the two carpels. Catnip is a wonderful plant in this family. There are also some psychoactive mints that are used in South America. The more that we know about the mint family, the more fascinating it becomes. And how do we know that they're all related? They all have the same sexual characteristics. Now, people will say mints have square stems. And while it's true, mints do have square stems. There are also poisonous plants like lantana that have square stems and and non-poisonous plants that aren't mints like nettle that has square stems as well. So a square stem is a secondary characteristic in the mints and not one which we would identify it by. In general, plants in the mint family are easy to recognize, but they are not always scented, although many of them are. And most of them are absolutely safe to eat, especially in limited 
quantities. Those volatile oils can be a little taxing or difficult for us. Well, I made a list obviously far too long for the time that we had tonight. I wanted to talk about the cabbage family and the grass family and the bean family and the lily family, which includes garlic and onions, and, of course, the tomato family. And I just learned something very interesting, that goji berries are in the tomato family. But... Did not know that. I'm sorry? I No, I did not know that. Yeah, interesting, huh? Uh, the renowned goji berries are actually a deadly nightshade. But we have no time to explore those other plant families. Remember that I re- recommended the wonderful book, Botany in a Day. And also my DVD, Botany for Herbalists, which goes <clears throat> over all of this information. Of course, it's a video, so you get to be with me and actually look at some of the plants that we've been talking about. And I want to thank you once again, Daniel Michael, for having the Main Street universe and for creating this miraculous, magical, and very, very fun place for us all to hang out. I will miss the Main Street universe. If you ever decide to revive it, be sure to let me know. I will. And like I said, I've just had to take a break. I won't be ending the entire network. I just had to take myself out of certain aspects of it for those that oh, are listening. Oh, good. So, so Main Street had... Universe will continue on, even yes. though Green Magic, Green Medicine will not, and you are going on to amazing things. So exciting. Thanks yep, so I'm much. I'm letting the other host just sort of take it over, basically. Like I'm sort of handing the, handing the torch, if you, if, you mean, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. How lovely. (laughs) So thank you for giving me this forum to remind us all that herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. And thank you for making it so easy for people to find me at SusanWeed.com and find my books at WiseWomanBookshop.com and find my e-zine at WiseWomanMentor.com. I look forward to all the further ways that we play together and experience Green Blessings. Good night. All right. And again, Bye-bye. thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure for five years or so or more, and perhaps we'll work together in some format um, in the future. And I thank you so much. Good night. Green Blessings. All right. Green Blessings. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. <laughs> 